There are two verses that I want you to look at here that uh, this light of the world phrase is picked up in chapters 8 and chapter 9 in two different situations in the life of Jesus. John chapter 8 and verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And then if you jump down to John chapter 9 and verse 4, John 9 and verse 4, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We, we live in a world of darkness and increasing darkness and decay. And in that world of darkness, people are looking for light. They're looking for answers. They're looking for hope. They're looking for reasons to exist. And all around us, maybe you're one of these, there are people making life decisions. And they're trying to figure out what to do or how to do it or when to do it. They're making decisions about family, about children, about life changes, about money. And sometimes when people are making those kind of decisions, you will hear somebody say, I just wish I had a little more information, which means they really say, I wish I had a little more light. And every day on television, there are talk shows with people who claim to have the light. I love these actors and actresses that stayed married for 72 days, and they get on talk shows and talk about marriage as if they know anything. People rush to Oprah and Dr. Phil and a thousand other people hoping that they'll have some light to give them. And any light that man gives is artificial and man-made unless its source is from the light of life, and that's Jesus Christ. One of the reasons that people have trouble making decisions is they, they drift from crisis to crisis, event to event, moment to moment, and they never have a game plan. And the reason they don't have a game plan is because, quite honestly, they don't have a worldview. Especially, they don't have a biblical worldview, a grid through which they filter all of their decision-making. And so, they stumble through life and trip over themselves making poor decisions because they didn't walk in the light. There are nine words that I think would solve a lot of our problems. Very simply this. Lord, what is it you want me to do? If we started every crisis and every decision and every change in our lives with that question, Lord, what is it you want me to do? Then we are starting on the right path of walking in the light and not walking in the shadows. Not walking according to the light, John chapter, 1 John chapter 1 says, we walk in the light as he is in the light, and religion can walk according to the light. Legalism can walk according to the light, but we are not to walk according to it, we're to walk in it. And so I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, in this condition of darkness, do we want man-made light, do we want artificial light, or do we want the light of the world to illumine our hearts and our minds 
in what is best for us. Now turn back, if you will, because light has already been mentioned in John's gospel. We looked at uh, one of these when we were looking at the prologue to John's gospel, John chapter 1 and John chapter 3. John uses this phrase, light. And we're going to talk about why he uses this. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, in him, that being Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. Now, in that context of those early verses, John uses the word light six times in those early verses. So he's beginning his book with a thought and with a theme. In him is light. Now, if you go to chapter 3 and verse 19, chapter 3 and verse 19, this is the judgment that the light, definite article, the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Now let me just make a little parenthetical statement here. Nobody minds you talking about God. Everybody minds you talking about Jesus. Definite article. The light the person. God in general can refer to anything. God specific to Jesus refers to one, the triune God. And in these verses, light is referred to five times in reference to Jesus. Now, here's what you need to note about chapter one and chapter three. These are John's words about Jesus. These are not statements that Jesus made about himself. And you would think that this is just an idea that John came up with until you realize he's developing a thought and developing a theme and driving to a point. He did not invent the term, the light. He wasn't sitting in his house one day and said, candle, light, that's a good image for Jesus. I think I'll use that. It's a good metaphor. No, he did it after he applied the total revelation of Jesus of himself, and he sat down decades later, and in remembering how Jesus had called himself the light of the world, he went back and explained the difference between light and darkness and why we are to walk in the light. And you see that theme light throughout John's writings, his epistles and his gospel, because in the full revelation, he was trying to apply in a broad swath what Jesus had made in a couple of statements. Then you get to chapter 8, and Jesus identifies himself in seven I am sayings. Now, we typically, and this series is about the I am sayings that we are most familiar with. We talked last time about the bread of life. Now we're in the light of the world. But I want you to follow with me through chapter 8 and look at the times that Jesus says, I am. Verse 12, I am the light of the world. Verse 16, I am one who bears witness of myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness of me. Verse 23, 
I am from above. Verse 23 again, I am not of this world. Verses 24 and 28, I am he. Verse 58, I am. There could be little doubt when you get to chapter 8 of John's gospel that Jesus never thought he was anything other than God's son. He did not see himself as just a prophet or a teacher or a good moral example. He saw himself and proclaimed himself and declared himself as one you need to decide about. He says, I am all of this. These words demand that we look at that. And so again in chapter 8 and verse 12, I'm the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in the darkness but will have the light of life. You see, without Christ, you and I are sinners walking in darkness. With Christ, we have a Savior who has given us light. The first thing that light did was it exposed the sinfulness of our heart. It exposed the darkness of our mind and our heart, the delusion that we walk in. And in the middle of that, God shed his light on us. And when we responded to the light that we had received, we believed. And now we walk in the light. Here's the problem. Some people walk in moral darkness. We talk about sinners walking in darkness. And the problem with the world is that it walks in the dark. Men love darkness rather than light. Uh, most things related to the nightlife of a city are not good. There are places you wouldn't go in any city at night if you're smart. Because you just know in those places, nightlife means trouble. It, it means that there's going to be gangs and crime and unfaithfulness and prostitution and drugs and alcohol. By the way, have, have you ever noticed that when, when uh, I'm, I'm not picking on y'all, I'm just making a point, okay? Have you ever noticed when teenagers ask to stay out, they never say how long they can stay out in the afternoon? How long can I stay out tonight? Can I tell you something, folks? After about 11 o'clock, nothing much good happens anywhere. I know that just, you just, I just ruined your lives. I know that. But I want to tell you, all the trouble I got in in high school happened after 11 o'clock. Now, you can get in trouble at 945, but the later it gets, the more darkness begins to creep in on us. John used darkness as a picture of sin. Here's the context in chapter 8. This is immediately after the story of the woman taken in adultery, the situation where this woman is brought before Jesus by her accusers was a perfect setting for Jesus to show her accusers and us that we all walk in darkness, that religious people walk in darkness. That it's not just obvious sinners that walk in darkness, but it's religious people. And, and he uses this to point out that all of us need to be delivered out of darkness. So in the light of this woman who has been caught in a dark act, he says to people that think they're exposing her to the light, you need the light of the world too. Jesus often pictured sin in different ways. Sometimes sin in the Bible is pictured as a disease. And so we need him as a great physician. Because isn't that what sin does? Sin is a cancer in our soul. It eats away at our heart, at our innocence, at our purity. 
at the very fiber of what is best about us, sin eats away at it. Sometimes it's pictured as a defilement. And that's why the Bible says the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Because we are defiled by sin. Sometimes the Bible pictures it as a dungeon. We're in bondage or in slavery to sin. And that's why Jesus said the truth will set you free. Because people can get in bondage and in addictions and in slavery to sin. Sometimes it is pictured as death. The wages of sin is death. We are dead in trespasses and sin. So Jesus says to us, I'm the resurrection and the life. Why? Because we're dead without Christ. And we will die a second death. There's moral darkness. There's mental darkness. Let me just read these verses to you. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God said, light shall shine out of darkness. And the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. Ephesians 4, 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. You see, if a person is clueless, we say they're in the dark. If a person is in the know, we say they are enlightened. Now, a couple of things here, and they're going to come up on the screen uh, fairly quickly. The Bible talks about deeds of darkness in believers being children of light. We are children of light in a world of darkness. And so when God calls us children of light, that means that we just don't let our little light shine at church we let it shine in the world, in people who are surrounded by darkness. The Bible tells us there is no more night in heaven. When we get to heaven, we're not going to have to worry about the dark. We're not going to have to worry about crime because there's no more night. There's no more tears. That's a pretty good place. Why? Because he's the light that illumines all of glory to come. The Bible tells us that we've been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, the only people you must tell that the light is shining is blind people. What has Satan done? Satan has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. And we have to tell them that the light is shining. Now, the second thing is the context, chapter 7 through chapter 9. So I want to move from the story of the woman caught in adultery, and, and I want to take you to the, uh, to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem during the Feast of the Tabernacles. Uh, this was an annual feast. It went on for about eight days. It would have happened sometime in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, which would have been somewhere between mid-September and October on our calendar. Uh, we've been in Israel when they have celebrated something akin to the Feast of Tabernacles still. It was a reminder of several things. The Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder to celebrate the harvest because it was a time for the harvest to come in, so God's plenty and bounty had been given to them. It was a time to remember the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud 
that had protected them in the wilderness. And so they would remember God's guidance and light in their midst during 40 years of wandering. The people would crowd into the city. There was singing and dancing. That's why we know the Jewish people weren't Baptist. Uh, they were dancing, singing and dancing. And there were torch parades. And there were even dramatic enactments of people walking around the walls of Jerusalem as the Jewish ancestors of old had walked around Jericho and blowing trumpets to remind the people there was a day when there was another walled city that stood in the way of God's people and God's people walked around it and they blew trumpets and the walls fell. It was a reenactment and a reminder that God had been in their midst and that the light had been shining for them. And in this ceremony of the Feast of Tabernacles was another ceremony of the illumination of the temple. Every night this happened in the court of the women. Everyone could come. The courtyard would be packed. In fact, on the Temple Mount today, you can put 100,000 people easily. Now, it's like sardines, but you can do it. And so you imagine this Temple Mount crowded this ceremony of illumination, people getting there early. For at night, they would place these four candelabras at the center of the court, and at the height of the celebration, they were to set ablaze these candelabras as a memorial that God had been with his people in Exodus. Every time they had the Feast of Tabernacles, every time they went to the illumination of the temple, it was a reminder to them of what they would tend to forget if they did not remember. For instance, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isaiah 60 and verse 19, the Lord will be your everlasting light. Job 29 in verse 3, by his light I walk through the darkness. Micah chapter 7 and verse 8, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And through the centuries, the rabbis had said that Messiah's name would be light. So here they are at the Feast of the Tabernacle, at the illumination of the four candelabra, and they've gathered on the Temple Mount at the time of Christ. They, they have gathered on this massive platform that has been built by Herod. And, and the temple has been raised on that site. And it, and it sits in the middle of this platform where all these people have come through. All the gates leading into this one area. And they have gathered there. And imagine yourself there 2,000 years ago with all these people celebrating the good old days when God really moved among his people. And they were still longing for Messiah. And suddenly Jesus walks into the center of the court of women and says I'm the light of the world now he had to shout it folks because the place is full of people and they're all celebrating and dancing and he yells to the top of his lung God in flesh the light of the world come down to man and says these candelabras are about me it points to me 
I was there in the Exodus. I'm the lamp. I'm the light. I'm the one that guides you. I'm the one that's giving you direction. It's about me. And he had to tell his own people because although they had all the prophecies of Messiah, they still didn't recognize him. You know why? They were walking in the darkness of dead religion. You see, it is a true statement. Some people couldn't see God if he showed up right in front of them. And here's Jesus, God's presence in a pillar, now in a person. God's presence in a wilderness, now among his people on a mount where they say they are worshiping him. Jesus stands and says, these fires are going to go out in a few hours, but I'm the light that will never be extinguished. For them and for us, it's a reminder that he is the one that is the way and points the way and guides the way to God. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Emphatic. No sin, no darkness, no error, no mistakes, no stumbling at all. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now let's look at the clarification. You see, the light of the world not only illuminates, he exposes. Because when light comes on, it exposes things. Uh, I grew up on the coast in Mississippi, and, and uh, we especially on the coast of Mississippi had flying roaches. You know, those big old things that are on steroids. They're about two inches long. And you'd go in in the middle of the night and turn the light on, and, and all of a sudden roaches would scurry. Why? Because the light made them run to darkness. You see, light exposes darkness. And by the way, darkness cannot quench light, but light can overcome darkness. And, and so here's Jesus. John has already referred to him as the light in, in 1 4 and in 3 19. Now he refers to Jesus as light because Jesus referred to himself as light. And Jesus stood before these people. Now I want you to understand the context because this is important. Jesus stood before these people who had turned a living truth into a dead tradition and said, You've missed the point. You've missed the point of why you're here. You've missed the point of all the festivals. You've missed the point of all the sacrifices. You've missed the point of every miracle. You've missed the point of all the deliverance. You've missed the point of every word of the prophets. You've missed the point of the first five books that you've all memorized. You've missed the whole point of what it's about. It's about me. I'm here and you don't even know it. Why? They had so many layers of religion that they couldn't see Jesus. They had so many traditions. And here's what I want you to see. It's going to come up. When tradition replaces truth, then illusion replaces reality. 
You begin to live with an illusion that you are walking with God or that you are spiritually minded or that you are set apart because the illusion of legalism and religion and laws and rules will hide the reality of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what happens is we begin to glory in the past and we quit growing in the present. Nothing wrong with remembering the past. That's why all the festivals were done. But they had begun to glory in the past, thinking by checking the box of going to the festivals and checking the box of bringing the doves and the lambs, that they had somehow pleased God. And they missed the person standing there in front of them. Jesus is forever present tense. And if he's not present tense in us, then what happens is tradition begins to override truth. By the way, Jesus had more trouble with traditionalists than he ever had with prostitutes and sinners and the Romans. The only people that really gave Jesus grief were people that thought they were spiritual. And really what they were was lost. Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs and of your father the devil. I I always remember this quote when I quote that. Uh, Somebody went up to Vance Havner one time and said, Dr. Havner, you're so hard and you're so tough and you're you're so mean. Would you just tell us something the meek and lowly Jesus said? He said, I'll tell you what the meek and lowly Jesus said. He said, you're a whitewashed tomb and of your father the devil. See, we get this little prissy image of Jesus. I want to tell you something. When you are such a man full of God and God full of man that you can look people that can overpower you in the flesh and tell them that they're of the devil, you're a man's man. Jesus is not for sissies. (laughs) I mean, he's the real deal. And so, so, listen, the demons didn't give Jesus as much trouble as the Pharisees did. God's people were bound up by the laws. And in fact, in Matthew's gospel, it says that the Pharisees lay heavy burdens on the people. Burdens too great to bear. Why? With traditions and rules and regulations. And the feast was supposed to point to him. Now, I want to read chapter 8, beginning in verse 42. And I want to make some parenthetical statements as we're going there. And and you may just want to write them in because they're, they're good things if somebody comes to you and and they're a little bit of a legalist. And by the way, legalists breed more than other people do. And they're in every church. Let's just start in chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. They didn't love Jesus. You know why? Because God wasn't their father. You know who loves Jesus? People who have God as their father. If you don't love Jesus, it's because God's not your father. If you can't be in love with Jesus and give your heart to Jesus, it's because God's not your father. You can claim whatever religion you want to claim or denomination you want to claim. But if you don't love Jesus, God's not your father. That's pretty simple. I mean, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to figure that out. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? 
They were clueless about what he was saying because they were lost. Because they knew about God, but they didn't know God. They were clueless who he was and what he was saying. It is because you cannot hear my word. Now think about that. These Pharisees had memorized the first five books, but they couldn't hear his word. They, now think, they could quote scripture. I mean, you know, Bible drill, man, these guys win it hands down. I mean, every, all the rest of us just forget it. You know, remember sword drills? I mean, just forget it. These guys are going to win every time. But when the author stood in front of them, they were deaf and blind to the one who wrote the book. He said, you, you can't hear it, my word, because you don't know me. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. What he's saying, and listen, listen, don't miss this. What he's saying is people full of religion that don't have Jesus are full of the devil. By the way, can I get a witness? You ever met any of those in a church? Raise your hands. I want to say, anybody ever, you ever met anybody in church just full of the devil? Yeah, you know why? Because that's who their father is. You know what people act like? People act like the devil when they're full of the devil. He said, you're of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. They rejected him. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. Boy, I don't know how it gets any clearer than that. Jesus said, you're not in light, you're in darkness. And the reason you're in darkness is because you're of the devil. Now, here's one reason why churches can't have the presence of God on them. Okay, can I just take a little detour here for a minute? I'm going to anyway, but here's one... Here's why churches can't have the presence of God on them. They let the devil have a way in their church. They don't resist him. They don't stand against him. They don't pray it out. They don't discipline it out. They just let the devil have his way. And we say, well, we just, we don't want to confront. Confront, that's what you're supposed to do with the devil. You're not supposed to let him run over you. If you're going to do that, go out and stand in the middle of the street and wait for the bus to come by and hit you. That makes as much sense as letting ungodly people rule the Lord's house. And Jesus came and said, you guys are gone. And I just told the whole world. And by the way, every one of those guys, unless they came in Acts chapter 2, where it says that many of the priests and Levites believed every one of those guys are in hell. And they led worship, and they offered sacrifices, and they led in synagogue worship, and they were of their father the devil. Now, that's not my evaluation of them. That's Jesus' evaluation of people who killed the very faith that he started. You find them everywhere. They had all the traditions and all the pictures pointing to him, but they missed him. And they practiced and they protected those traditions, but they slammed Jesus for not keeping the traditions. And Jesus rejected them. You go back and read Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and look at what Jesus said about them and their traditions. So we, John 8, 
They brought this woman to Jesus. By the way, here's what religious people do. Here's what legalists do. They brought this woman to Jesus trying to trap Jesus about this woman caught in adultery. They conveniently ignored Leviticus 20 that says you bring the man and the woman. You know why I think they didn't bring the man? I think the man was one of those Pharisees. And they were protecting their own. I think they had a Pharisee sleeping with a woman, having an affair with a woman, and they said, we're not going to kick you out of the Sanhedrin. We're not going to kick you out of the inner circle, but we're going to let this woman be an example. We're going to kill her and let you off. By the way, if you're going to quote the Scripture, quote all of it. Because in Leviticus it said you bring them both and stone them both to death. They just brought the woman. Selective theology and selective methodology. And Jesus responded and said, He who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. The fact that Jesus turned to the woman and told her to go and sin no more and said to those hanging around watching, I am the light of the world, was a reminder. He's not just the light for Israel. He's not just the light for one ethical or moral situation. He's the light of the world. And this is something that caught me this week. He's more light than law. Now, he is the source of the original law, the Ten Commandments. The Pharisees were the source of the 600-plus additional laws. You know how those laws work. I remember when I was growing up, I know nobody does this anymore. But I remember when I was growing up, and if, if you played cards in a Baptist church, you better do it with your blinds pulled because you were of the devil. I mean, I remember sitting in a Sunday school class saying one time, you know, we played go fish, and my teacher said, cards are of the devil. Go fish? Really? I'm going to hell? for playing go fish you're kidding me really it's that bad bingo whoo boy that's of the devil I remember I remember when I first came here and we had a lady that was in the nursing home and Shirley Horn brought her envelope I won't say who it was uh, Shirley Horn, Horn brought her envelope and she had won three dollars and twenty cents at bingo at the nursing home. But she asked Shirley, you think the church will take it since it's bingo money? <laughs> I'm telling you, if you win an $80 million lottery and give it all to the church, we'll forgive you. <laughs> Somebody's going to go out and say, tweet, pastor said play the lottery. <laughs> John chapter 9, the second time that Jesus uses this, it's not in a moral sin and failure, it's in a physical situation. And here's why he uses it in this situation. Over time, the Jewish people had developed this idea that if you're prosperous and blessed and healthy, then you have the favor of God. If you have sickness or disease or sorrow, then you must have sinned. By the way, that's exactly the message of the prosperity gospel. If you're being blessed, then you got the favor of God. 
hey, Donald Trump's being blessed. I don't see the favor of God on him. Jesus answered the disciples' questions about all this blindness and this sickness. He said, I'm the light of the world. I'm sufficient for every need. Now look quickly at the call on our lives. So why are we here? If he's the light of the world, why are we here? What are we supposed to do about that? Man is walking in darkness. Three things I want you to see. First of all, light has been rejected. Light has been rejected. John 1, verses 4, 5, and 9, and John 3, verses 19 through 21. We've already looked at those verses. Light has been rejected. But that doesn't mean that we don't try to share with people the light. Unbelief is academic. John chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. Unbelief is epidemic. Two billion people in this world have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. America is the sixth largest mission field in the world of lost and unchurched people. Judgment is coming, John 12, 39 through 40. Judgment is coming. So light has been rejected. Unbelief is epidemic and judgment is coming. Man's walking in darkness, but those who have embraced the light have a responsibility. Let me give you those three. To let our light shine, Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Our light is supposed to shine, to expose lies and promote truth. That's what John 8 would tell us, John 8, verse 12. And to offer hope and direction to those stumbling in the darkness. To offer hope and direction to those stumbling in the darkness. You see, love is not blind. It sees a need and it meets it. And we see people stumbling in darkness. Chapter 9 and verse 4. Notice what Jesus says in chapter 9 and verse 4. This is very important because I don't know how many times I've read this and missed it. Jesus says to his disciples, we, not I, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We. Now, let me give you two statements, one about John 8 and one about John 9, and then let's look at that little passage there. In John 8, he affirmed his messianic authority to guide men into all truth. There's a specific reason to call himself the light of the world in John 8. To guide men into who he was, his messianic authority to guide men into all truth. In John 9, he declared the blind man to be healed. He had power over disease and darkness and sin. Now, in John 9, this is a little difficult, but let me just kind of walk through it. In John 9, the article is missing in the Greek. It doesn't show up in our English translation, but the second should be translated this. In the John 9 passage, it it should say this, I am the light to the world whenever I am in the world. I am the light to the world whenever I am in the world. And when is he in the world? When we're in the world. Now, That's how you take it and move it into the 21st century. The deeper meaning in chapter 9 and verse 5 is that he had more than physical sight in mind. 
He, he said, people are spiritually blind and need to see, and I'm the light that they need. And so if you look at chapter 9 and verse 4 and verse 5, look, look at chapter 9 and verse 4. As long as it is day, we must do. Now some translations do read, I must do, but that's not accurate. It's we must do. All of us, you and I, he's speaking to the disciples. He's also speaking to us. We must do the works of the one who sent him. Why? Why? Because a city on a hill cannot be hidden. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Ronald Reagan didn't come up with that line. Jesus came up with that line. We are to be a city on a hill. And the flatlands of southwest Georgia, that can be a little hard, but we'll get there. Secondly, he calls us to the, to the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14. It's again going back to the let your light shine. He says in John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And then Paul says that we are God's fellow workers. We are in partnership with God. We are on his advance team. We're on his front lines. We are to be the light of the world. And so how now he uses us to carry out his work, and that, that means three things. First of all, the necessity of it should motivate us. The necessity of it should motivate us. He said, we must do the work. It's necessary. You see, John uses the word works and word almost interchangeably because the word puts us to work. The necessity of it, the urgency of it should motivate us. Night is coming when no man can work. The clock is ticking. There's going to come a day when the last person is saved, the last song is sung, the last invitation is given, and Christ is going to come back. Night is coming. Jesus said, there's coming a day when we won't be able to work anymore. And then it should be motivated by love. It should be motivated by love. He's a light of the world. He guides us. He motivates us. His word is a lamp and a light. Is now a person. Ephesians 5.8, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Colossians 1.13, He rescued us from the domain of darkness. And Jesus says in John 9, He who follows me. Or as one commentator said, Jesus is not only the right way, he's the bright way. You don't stumble when you're walking in the light. John Wesley said, the one who follows Christ shall have the divine light continually shining upon him, diffusing over his soul knowledge, holiness, and joy. Now, how do you how can you be the light of the world? Two quick words and then one quick illustration. Believe and behave. Believe and behave. How am I to be the light of the world? I'm to believe that he is the light of the world and I am behave and I behave myself when I'm walking in his light. Gypsy Smith was a famous preacher of another era. He was born in a gypsy tent. That's why he was called Gypsy Smith. He began preaching when he was 17 years old. 
He preached until he was 87. He died on a ship on his way to a mission, and he was buried at sea. Shortly before Gypsy Smith died, after preaching from 17 to 87, they asked him how he stayed, in our terms, would be energized, motivated. How do you stay so focused in your ministry? And Gypsy Smith had a very short answer, but a very profound one. He said, I never lost the wonder. I never lost the wonder. The wonder that God could save me, that God could love me, that God could forgive me, that God could use me, that I could be used by Him to give light to the world.